0: Breathing, my friend. time <laughs> 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 just make <I'm> <laughs> <laughs> disappear
1: go
2: welcome uh, to yet another episode of Gil and Rose Cospedacious Horror Podcast. I, as ever, am the Phantom Eric, and I'm joined today by my dear friend and most of colleagues, Lester Reefer. Lester, how the devil are you? <laughs>
0: Time
2: is
3: at 11.16pm. <laughs> Everyone needs a gimmick.
2: Everyone needs a gimmick. Very cool. I, as ever, am not, in fact, uh, the Phantom American. I am Roscoe Harold Vacant, I'm joined by my dear friend and most fadacious of colleagues, Mr. Gil Ian Allen Rokotanski. Gil, how are you, my friend? I'm
3: very good considering.
2: Consider considering.
3: No, I, I'm, I'm just were very you, good. You considering? I'm just I'm just I'm very good and I'm considering.
2: <laughs> not again. <laughs>
3: No, I'm, I'm actually having a really good week. Good,
2: good, 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 good. Cool, man, cool.
3: I may not be a lady, but I'm all women.
2: I may not be a lady, but I am an old
3: woman. <laughs> there
2: we go. How, how has your week been, my friend? My
3: week's been very good. I went to uh-huh. IKEA and I managed uh-huh. to avoid bumping into some annoying people.
2: There we go, yes, because I was in Ikea at the simultaneous, uh, at the same time. That's what simultaneous
4: means!
2: It it does, it does.
3: Why did you go to Ikea for Ideas Weekend? (laughs) I went for a wardrobe. I had no idea that it was Ideas Weekend. They should have maybe shared that idea. Then I could have had a better idea than going to Ikea on Ideas Weekend. (laughs) I got some crayfish. Did you go some crayfish? I, I did. I got one crayfish.
2: Do you have you have a fish tank? No!
3: I ate one crayfish. Oh,
2: no. Because you for ages had a fish tank that looked like everything and it was dead.
3: Everything in it was dead. <laughs> it was a fish tank from the Black Lagoon.
2: It's a very depressing fish tank.
3: It was. It was a very depressed fish. There we go, there we go. actually no. The, the fish in it used to be really happy.
2: Uh-huh, and then <laughs> it moved in with you. <laughs> oh, Another I, so I know the feeling. I <sighs> know the feeling. What about you?
3: Go. How's your happy weekend?
2: <laughs> That's amazing. It's really good. I was at really Ikea and everything. I oh, was at Ikea. <laughs> managed to avoid uh, some lunatics. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, it's been really good. Um... Uh yeah, just been keeping very busy with with work and um, going to the uh, pictures uh, and seeing uh, a couple of interesting movies. Um, one of which I'm sure you have seen, one of which you may not have seen. Um, so um, would that be Inside Out? <laughs> it would be Inside I've Out. I've seen it as well. <laughs> this oh, is the, this be- is literally best.
3: Bl- Horror the, podcast in the world. The Last time, Minions. This time, Inside, inside out. out. Okay, fair
2: enough. Um, okay, so what do you think Inside
3: Out? Oh, I I had all the feels. You
2: had all the feels? <laughs> yep.
3: Oh, such a wonderful wee film. I really, really enjoyed it. You
2: need the sadness, girl. You need the sadness. You
3: need the sadness or you can't grow up.
2: That's it, absolutely.
3: <laughs> and lava that was on before it.
2: That's it, and it was. It's been running around in my head since uh, since that a little, uh, it's a little short at the start. Well, Inside Out is a Pixar film. It's about emotions and people's heads and the. Everybody knows. Yeah, well, just in case they haven't
3: seen it, is just in case someone under a rock just put out the internet. So it
2: it takes the. The the story is based around, um, this little girl. I don't remember her name. What's the what's the girl's name?
3: Uh, I think it was inconsequential.
2: That that good, huh? Um. So, uh, yeah. And then the 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 kind of lead character is Joy, and uh, there's there's the joy and sadness go on a adventure together. Um, and it's yeah, it's it's really really good and really good fun. Um. So definitely check out. But, and they're bringing start- out a sequel? Oh god, no! Right, it's called Joy 2 Oh, the world, Joy world, yes, very good. Okay, um, and it'll be out just in time for Christmas. Very good. Yes, okay. it will. Um, uh uh-huh. So, <laughs> uh huh. Um, so at the start there is uh what is it? Is it called Lava? The the little bit at the start. Yep. So, Pixar movies tend to have a little kind of animated short at the start. And I think Disney have started doing it now as well. Um, but yeah, it was really good fun. And um, I thought it was going to have a downer end. I, I really
3: like the <laughs> foreshadowing in lava.
2: The foreshadowing? Oh, uh-huh. There. Yeah.
3: There's, a, there's actually foreshadowing in lava. There we go. There's a bit when the, there's a, a lonely volcano. Mm-hmm. And he's, well, he, he can basically just look at the sky uh-huh. nothing else and a cloud formation floats by that is what you'll see at the end uh, and if you don't believe me <laughs> i do believe you that's you can you can actually check it out on uh, the youtubes there's a short clip of lava Very where it's just a little bit of the song but it is that one bit of the film where that cloud formation goes by Okay. That is when I noticed it, not in the cinema.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um yeah, did you manage to see anything else, Gil, this week?
3: Yes, I I went to see Mission Impossible, Rogue Nation.
2: Oh wow, okay. So what was that like?
3: Uh Ethan Hunt. Uh-huh. That's it's people are chasing after him. It's an Ethan Hunt. Uh-huh. Basically
2: but, but, I know that you've probably you probably wrote that down just as you were leaving the cinema and thought, you know, I need to need to get that one in.
3: Oh, there's a pun for Roscoe. There's one no. he,
2: You know how he lost pure ale humour. Um It's uh well
3: loads of people seem to really, really love this film. I thought it went on and on and on. Right. And it's okay. got some really nice action sequences in it, but yep. uh, the the actual story itself, you're really not all that fussed with it. It's like remember when James Bond films used to be fun, sure, and there would be good laughs and you'd have yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. like stupid over the top stunts. Uh-huh. This this starts off with him like you you'll have seen it in the trailer where he's hanging on to the side of a plane and the big sales picture about that is we actually hung Tom Cruise off the side of that plane.
2: Yep, okay, Uh
3: uh-huh. It never gets bigger than that.
2: Right, okay, (laughs) so So that's fair enough, okay.
3: The first five minutes is the biggest and best thing that you're going to see, and there's, this is probably a spoiler, but there's a bit in it where he's technically dead for a minute, and I was just Uh hoping he wasn't going to get back up. That's sad. I mean, I was like, oh, this is the end. This is but it's the same as every other Mission Impossible film where the bad guy really wants something. Ethan Hunt doesn't want the bad guy to get the thing, but the easiest way for Ethan Hunt to get the bad guy is for Ethan Hunt to give the bad guy the thing that he wants, then all of a sudden he's caught the bad guy. Sure. That's all you're gonna see. But at least I've found some of the other films like the second one's a like it's a that was John Woo did that one and uh-huh, it's got right, so right. many bits in it that because I really liked John Wu before he started doing American films and uh-huh. a lot of his little tropes and stuff have kind of carried on into his American films like the sure. doves and all that uh-huh. and you watch Mission Impossible 2 and you go oh that's clearly a John Wu film okay then you watch the next one and somebody else did that and then the fourth one somebody else did that and it was all, I think, pretty much people that Tom Cruise had never worked with. Mm-hmm. Tom Cruise has done four films with Christopher Macquarie now.
2: Right, okay. Uh-huh. So it,
3: it kind of feels more like a Tom Cruise-Christopher Macquarie collaboration mm-hmm. than having an interesting director like put Tom Cruise into an action film that is kind of unique. Sure. So... Yeah, it's it's kind of disappointing.
2: So I was quite curious based on the trailer, particularly obviously Simon Pegg, um, being in it. I mean, I I know that he was in the other films, but it's never really they've never really piqued my interest quite like that trailer because it seemed it looked quite fun, um, and I've seen the trailer about a hundred times. That's probably part of it as well. They've worn me down. Well, um, he's, he's probably the best
3: part of it.
2: Sure. Okay.
3: You know, some of that stuff. I mean, Ving Rhames is grossly underused in this film.
2: Uh-huh, okay.
3: And it's, it's got some bits in it where you go, oh, this, is, this is good, uh-huh. but then it's got so much where you just think, this is really dragging on so long. I mean, uh-huh. two hours and 11 minutes, I think they could have made a really tight 90-minute film that would have been... Much more enjoyable, sure. and it's it's got a, a scene where it's a, a fight above an audience in a, an opera house. Uh huh. Well, just even though they're trying to be quiet, they're still way too noisy. Sure, somebody would have noticed it's all the realism is gone, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm saying that about a Mission Impossible film, uh huh. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I mean. Go and see it if you want to see the big action things on the big screen, but I think you could quite easily just wait for this to come on Netflix and
2: Cool. Yep. Okay, cool. What about you? <laughs> what... Well, apart from that, obviously I've uh, I've seen Ant Man. Um so obviously I, part... I, I saw Deckman. Right, okay. <laughs> Uh, a, a very subtle and uh, clever reference there from Gil Rokotansky relating to PJ and Deej, uh, UK celebrities, Aunt and Dick. Um, so, Gil, what do you I think? can he see Dick.
1: Man? <laughs> <laughs> I can't yes, see yes,
0: man,
3: yes. Right. Uh, <laughs> if people want to, if anyone nobody, that doesn't know that, just nobody wants it.
2: Nobody wants to. Nobody
3: look, wants to don't, look up PJ and Duncan blind, or paintball, or whatever on YouTube. It's the most hilarious scene ever. I think it was supposed to be pointing out to kids that you shouldn't take your goggles off when paintballing, because...
2: It'd be great if PG and Duncan <laughs> came back as, like, a kind of vigilante duo, trying to <laughs> seek uh, vengeance for those that had wronged uh, PJ and Deej uh, and made them blind. Well, that would
3: be Daredevil. It's a, ne- a Netflix-only
2: and... exclusive... Um,
3: ironically with ant-man being played by dick
2: there we go
3: because yep. uh declin donnelly is very short
2: yes yes indeed i know
3: he's a big fan of the show so congratulations on your wedding
2: <laughs> um, there we go that's that well hopefully now they can afford to move out their mom and dad's places so yeah. the lads um so go uh, yes so Ant Man, obviously, if, if you've been laughing under a rock, is Marvel's uh, latest joint, starring Paul Rudd uh, and uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones's husband, whatever his name is, Mike uh, Douglas. That's him, the man with no dog. You're quite correct. You're quite. Co- <laughs> You're quite correct. Um. So yes, uh, it is a st- standalone film, or. Started off being, and it's definitely not now. But it's obviously right. It links in with the wider Marvel Universe now. Yeah. Um, it was originally due to be uh, produced, written, directed, uh, and so on by Ed, Edgar Wright, who about halfway through the process dropped out. I believe. It was even later than that. It was only ten days
3: before shooting.
2: Jeez. Okay.
3: No, sorry. Ten weeks before uh-huh. shooting, that like he left the project.
2: Sure. And who took over? Who's the who's the director
3: of this one? I can't remember.
2: No, I don't who, remember. And
3: I, I would look it up online, but uh as you know, I'm having computer problems at the moment.
2: <laughs> Stooge McStooge. Alan Smithy. Um, yeah. Well, the guy that directed it, he
3: isn't a great big name anyway. I mean, previously he'd done things like episodes of New Girl.
2: Yeah, it's the guy that... Yes Man, right?
3: Yes, he did. Yes! Yes! <laughs> he, he did the, the Jim Carrey film, Yes Man, uh-huh. based on the Danny Wallace book.
2: Ah, there we go. Okay. So there we go. So being Dave Gorman's uh, flatmate does... Does play well. song, Apparently so. Apparently so. <laughs> um. So Ant-Man, uh, another kind of... A, a Slightly different... Um, Again, another slightly different film. I've been the harbinger of doom... Uh, over Ant-Man saying this is going to be it, son, this is going to be one that breaks them. Um, But it's actually, you know, it, it actually turned out really, really well. In my opinion, I think it's uh, a really well-presented film. There's things in it that are, in my opinion, extraneous, and I think the, those things tend to be uh, the kind of obvious stuff. So things that relate this film back to the wider Marvel Universe I I personally could live without all of that. Um I think having that character in some way showing up in Civil War is a is absolutely fine and I would be happy with that. It's just the fact that this has then been almost imposed on the film. Or that's certainly how it feels. Yeah. It feels like oh this has been added after the fact. So for those that haven't seen it, do watch it. Uh there there is a wider link to the wider Marvel universe, but I mean that was to be expected. But unlike Guardians of the Galaxy, it was more or less left to be its own thing. There was kind of little hints to the wider Marvel Universe, but nothing shoehorned in. This very much has something that's that shoehorned in. Well, um, so
3: we, we can say without spoiling it too much. I, think, there, it's,
2: I think it's a fine note. To a reference
3: ahead. to S.H.I.E.L.D., basically.
2: -aha uh-huh, sure.
3: That doesn't, doesn't really, really need to be there. I mean, that... Uh, that plot devices that he has to go and get something. And he could have easily been going to get that thing from anywhere. Well, yeah, yeah. basically from the, the building that the film centers around. And that's probably what he had to do in the original script, mm-hmm. you know, and that would have been a good way for him to test their security a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then maybe discover that the security is a bit better than they thought making, the final break in a bit more of a challenge. Yep. So.
2: Well, but he's uh, highly dubious, uh, ethnically profiled chums that were uh, criminal accomplices.
3: I I really liked them. I I thought the characters were really good, and to be honest, the fact that they basically created like a kind of criminal Benetton advert hadn't even occurred to me until now. <laughs>
2: Anyway, yes, <laughs> uh, I find that a little bit on the dubious side, you know, uh, the, the the noble crook, uh, man amongst, uh, the, the, the you know, among thieves was a, a, a little bit much for myself. But yeah, I dug it, man. As I say, this was not a character that I particularly knew uh, all that well in terms of my kind of knowledge of the character. I had a kind of rough idea. I knew, I knew Ant-Man. I knew um, Hank Pym and I knew that his wife was Janet. Other than that, my only kind of real introduction was through um, The Irredeemable Ant-Man, Robert Kirkman's run that led into uh, some of the kind of Dark Reign stuff. So it was the character Eric O'Grady rather than uh, Scott Lang from what I remember. Um, certainly, I don't know if, was, was Eric O'Grady, I think Eric Grady was Thunderbolts. So I don't know if Robert Kirkman wrote any of that stuff. But um that was my introduction rather than the rather than the Scott Lang stuff. But nevertheless, it's a really great premise for uh for a movie and I think I think it worked really well. What was what was what was your thought, Gil? Uh
3: I uh I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was quite surprised that it was the was it the third least mm-hmm. successful film so far that Marvel Oh released. really? Yeah, for the first week. Uh-huh. It's the, the third least successful so far. I mean, uh-huh. it didn't even make a hundred million. And, you know, for most films, that seems like a lot of money. But for a Marvel film, you know, a uh-huh. hundred million doesn't seem like a really high goal <laughs> for what, an opening weekend.
2: And what were the two that that, that that surpassed it in terms of being, being poor for opening weekends? I don't remember,
3: but I think okay. they would probably right. have been further back. That's the problem okay. of not having the ability to Google things. I would have looked it up, but I'm lazy like that.
2: I, th- I think <laughs> you're right. I, I did hear something along the lines of the, the, a couple of the canary ones. Maybe um, Iron Man 3? It. Sure, okay. I think
3: I'd, I'd say Iron okay. Man 3, I, but then I would say that because I really don't like Iron Man 3.
2: Sure. I mean, I I, I do. um For... I've got problems with Iron Man 3 and I mean we've discussed this, <laughs> discussed this in, on, on the podcast before I mean for me the things that, that kind of set it apart are the things that a lot of people hated about it I loved the Mandarin I thought it was a great idea and the more the more I think about that idea the more I love it
3: um, What about Tony Slattery though? well not Tony, Slattery, but <laughs> Tony so, Slattery it was something Slattery was the the name that Ben Kingsley's character was, and it just always makes you think of Tony Slattery. Oh, yeah, yeah. That that would have been much better if they'd had Tony Slattery from the...
2: Or (laughs) Terry Christian.
3: Oh, we're hitting out with all the worldwide known references tonight. (laughs) Tony Slattery, star of the 1980s version of Whose Line Is It Anyway, who disappeared (laughs) due to his own success. And... Lots, lots of naughty sherbets.
2: <laughs> anyway, so yes, recommend that you go out and, and check out Ant-Man.
3: Yeah, and um, it's the sweariest Marvel film so far. It was,
2: pretty sweary. it was pretty sweary.
3: But I really liked that about it.
2: Anyway. Not,
3: not because I like swearing. I really liked that about it because it, it's... Apart from... Well, I was going to say apart from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh-huh. it's the most grounded character. But of course... Yeah, it is the most grounded, the most down-to-earth character in the Marvel Universe, apart from maybe Daredevil, but, of course, Daredevil is made for an an entirely different and older audience. So Ant-Man kind of bridges the gap between the dark and seedy world that Daredevil lives in Uh and then the kind of more PG-13 world that the rest of the MCU currently lives in. Sure. So, you know, I think maybe we'll we'll see more. I think that when people say the word that means Mm poo-poo in films that's that's not going to be PG-13 for much longer. It'll end up just being PG. Sure.
2: Sure. So, um, apparently the Ant-Man was the second most opening after The Incredible Hulk. All right. Just a touch higher than first class and the 3D debut of the Green Lantern. Obviously not stacking with Marvel not Marvel films but in terms of the Marvel ones it's second most grossing. I'd forgotten about the Incredible Hulk. Yes. Although I, I quite enjoyed it. Um I, I I have to say I didn't. Um without one I think I think um is that the the Edward Norton one. Yeah.
3: where they they cut some stuff out. Yeah. Sadly, they cut out a reference to Captain America, where he basically, he wanders, he he does a Frankenstein, Uh and wanders off into the frozen wastelands to basically kill himself. Sure. And was supposed to bump into Captain America, but instead... Ah. Instead, what they had was apparently as he walks along a bit, you can see... Captain America's shield is frozen into some ice mm-hmm. but that was all taken out
2: there we go ok, Um. so Gal have you managed to see anything else that's been quite exciting this week or uh, not much so no, you've been I, a, a very busy man with your, your renovations I, and so on
3: <laughs> yeah, well my renovations are basically almost finished
2: cool, very good <laughs> very good, well Probably with Without further ado, it's probably worth us uh, taking a short break there and going into our interview segment this week. We're very proud to be able to present an interview with uh, the writer uh, and director Larry Blamire um, who has directed a range of fantastic movies that, uh, that I'm a big fan of and I know the girl also enjoys. Um, yep. So uh, in terms of that would be things like The Lost Skeleton the Cadaver, The Lost Skeleton Returns Again, um, Trail of the Screen Forehead, um Meet the Mobsters. Meet which the, you've not meet seen the Mobsters, that I, I... of course. Uh, Dark and Stormy Night and so on. And a lot of a lot of films tend to focus on uh, doing kind of spoofs of um of classic classic monster tropes and it's really great for anyone that's into that kind of that, that kind of world and larry that to summarize it as a spoof probably doesn't do it justice what larry does is he uh crafts these kind of crazy characters with all sorts of colorful names um and uh, it really plays with the tropes, but also builds up his own world, and he's got a recurring cast of characters, including people like Daniel Roebuck um, and a whole range of guys that come back, keep coming back, and his own wife as well, Jennifer Blair. So. RAR! Exactly. So, we really hope you enjoy this interview. I hope it inspires you to check out more, and hopefully, at some point in the future, we'll we'll revisit Wari's work um, and do some kind of retrospective. So, we'll have have a short break there, and we'll be back with Mr. Wari Blamire. We'll be back after this.
1: Brian's Garage sponsors Grapes and grass. Come to Brian's Garage on Shettleston Road, we do a range of car parts, spark plugs, fan belts, carburetors, radiator, catalytic converter, exhaust pipes, wheels, tyres, and we also do microwave ovens. Come to Brian's Garage on Shettleston Road. wine and horror go together like the majestic pairing of tommy cannon and bobby ball join me jonathan jonathan jr we were talking about classic wines classic horror what to drink when you're shitting your pants 1979 a good year for film even better for wine. The film I'll be talking about tonight is Alien, a sci-fi classic set in space, pitched as Jaws on a spaceship, eating people. Ridley Scott's masterpiece alongside his other highly rated film, Blade Runner. 1979, the year our wine, Hatch Goes Merlot, was first released. Several months after the premiere of Alien, at the time I was starring in my first play, a quite terrible production of The Lion, The Witch, in The Wardrobe, also starring Matthew Kelly. I was his understudy, and boy did we stink that joint out. Hasbro's Merlot, a wonderful red wine. A Merlot is a big fuck you to wine snobs. This is a cheeky little wine, sweeter than Jaffet Koto's boyish smile. Drink this wine as the alien makes its way through the crew of the Nostradamus, slaughtering those innocent crew as she goes. That's right, she goes. It's a popular misconception that the alien was conceived as a giant phallus. that would work its way through human society, destroying all in its path, like a drunken businessman in a night out. Perhaps in Newcastle, maybe the streets of Glasgow. But no, I see the alien as strange and maternal, and that's why she forms that bond with Sigourney Weaver and leaves her alive towards the end of the film. But then, in a horrific plot twist, tries to kill Sigourney Weaver later on in the film perhaps symbolizing the twisted relationship that many women form with each other, whether in the workplace or in the home, or perhaps even on a night out. Too much wine's been drunk, but I'll tell you something for free right now, listeners. That wine wasn't Hasgro's Merlot, because no one, no one cannot have a good night out with that wine. Indeed, a good night in, watching Alien.
2: Guys, it's our great privilege at this time to be joined by the writer, director, uh, actor, producer, and all-round uh, awesome person, Mr. Larry Blamire. Larry, welcome to Gillen Roscoe's pedacious Horror Podcast.
4: Why, thank you, and thank you for having me, and thank you for uh, including all the, the swell things that I do. <laughs>
2: no, it's our, our pleasure. We were first kind of turned on to your work by Dark and Stormy Night, um, probably th- uh, th- three years ago or something in that kind of order. Um, so just been kind of getting a look at the rest of your work um, as you've gone along and looking at uh, random stuff like Meet Biba and all sorts of different, <laughs> <laughs> different stuff yeah. along the way. Um, but yeah, uh, Larry, great to have you in the show. Just wanted to maybe start off by asking you about how you get into uh, f- filmmaking. And uh, I understand that you kind of started off with stage productions and so on.
4: Yeah, I did. Uh, I did theatre first and I kind of backed into filmmaking uh, by default because I was, um, I was looking for something to do um, since I, I, we had moved to California and uh, and I'd always wanted to uh, try my hand at making movies and I had written some screenplays. So, um, Ha- having uh, no success in the, um, in the during the uh, the Internet crash in 2000, um, decided to uh, to make a, a film just for the hell of it. So um, we made Lost Skeleton and Uh And even though you know it was, it was shot in a very short time, but there was actually a, a good deal of preparation up to that. And and um, and this is this. Came after, you know, I uh, spent a, a good decade or more working in, in theater prior to that.
2: Sure, and I mean, I understand that The Lost Skeleton itself had its roots uh, in the
4: theater. It, yeah, a, a little bit, yeah. Um, I had done a play, I wrote a play called Bride of the Mutant's Tomb, and um, it was about a low budget director uh, fashioned after Ed Wood. Junior, who was uh, scrambling to finish his low-budget movie in Bronson Canyon. Um, it was written for the Open Door Theater in the Boston area in a park to be done outdoors. They did shows outdoors in the summer. And Bronson Canyon was perfect because it was like a natural bowl in the, in the theater and people sat around and watched the play. So this play had... Um, the, the film within the play that he's making has certain elements in it that I later stole for Lost from myself for Lost Skeleton of Cadaver, including Crowbar and Lattice, the Alien Couple. Um, although they're they're a little bit they're more evil in, in the play, actually. Um, there's no skeleton in the in the play. Uh, but there are elements in some dialogue. I took some dialogue too when I was writing Lost Skeleton years later.
2: So were you were you involved in acting in that site, or was that more a kind of written?
4: No, and I had done I'd done a good deal of acting in the at the Open Door Theater. Um, I kind of cut my teeth there, and it was the first time I ever directed. I directed a play that I wrote called In the Nations, a very dark western. Um, and and um, but with Bride of the Mutant's Tomb, uh, I I was doing I think I was doing another play somewhere else. So somebody else directed that, who actually. It was W. Perry Barton who encouraged me to write it because he was an Ed Wood fan too and uh, he thought it'd be a great thing to do and he did a great job directing.
2: Fantastic. Do do you think any elements of the kind of, the almost kind of meta elements from Bride of the Mutants Tomb will come into any of your future work or do you think that's something that you've kind of left behind?
4: No, you know, um, I I actually revisited some of my plays last year and, and after many years and, because uh, these were done in the 80s, um, but last year I just had, I had a sudden urge to go back in time, and I kind of uh, took some of my plays that that aren't published, the ones that aren't published, and I I did a, a sort of rewrite of them because I felt like in a way they were never finished, and and it's always good to have some time uh, to give you some objectivity, and and so one of them, there were four of them, and one of them was *Bride of the Mutant's Tomb*. So I've actually published that play. Ah, oh, very cool, very cool. So where, where can people get a hold of that if that's something if, that would be interesting? If you go to um, lulu.com and search for my name, I have a, a page there with all my books, um, including the four plays with the uh, Bride of the Mutant's Tomb. And, um, and some of my humor books, my, my recently published uh, Blamory of Terms. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> which, is a, uh, which is a must-have, which features uh, some terms you may or may not know that I made up.
3: <laughs> so I just we, like the idea that you're the king of foreplays. Is
4: was it, the king of foreplay? What? <laughs> i I'm
3: the king of foreplay. People can <laughs> people can go and check out your foreplays on the
4: internet. Very <laughs> the poor, Very poor. Very poor. <laughs> so we're talking about foreplay, and it was a whole different thing happening there.
2: That's a red. That's a red <laughs> called for Mr. Yeah, I, I have
4: been called the king of foreplay, but. Um, yeah, the four plays are uh, Wyo, which is a, a, a tragedy about uh, Irish gangs in New York City based on uh, some history, and uh, a black comedy called Jump Camp, and, um, and a play called The Chroma Line, which is based on my experiences working in a wallpaper warehouse.
2: Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. <laughs> So um, are are you originally from the New York area, Larry, or are you... I I know that you said you were in Boston and then moved over to L.A. Where are you originally
4: from? Yeah, from from Boston to L.A., but, you know, I was originally born in Liverpool.
2: Ah, there we go. My goodness, there we go. So That's how
3: deep we do the research. It says that on the wiki page.
4: (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing on, you know, usually Wikipedia is pretty pretty unreliable exactly
2: it's full of yeah. lies absolutely but there, there yeah. we go um i was uh, just as a sidebar i was particularly impressed with susan uh, mcconnell's scottish accent uh, since mm-hmm. we're since we're talking about links to the united kingdom
4: you know what and she does such a great susan i worked with susan in um, in theater in boston and uh um she uh, did such a great job of dropping her belfast accent for when she you know when she played Lattice in *Lost and the cadaver and then she has spent time in i think she's got relatives in, in scotland so she has spent time there and, and um and i thought she did a good job and i'm i'm really glad to hear you say that because i i did it a, a, a podcast maybe 2 years ago with uh, with a couple of uh, a couple of scottish fellows and one of them really took uh he kind of he didn't like it. He thought it was um, he thought it was a little insulting and cliched. Um, that would be no, I
2: mean, me, me and Gal are pretty <laughs> insulting and cliched anyway, so you're in, <laughs> you're in fine company. <laughs> he um,
4: thought Nestle's, You know, we thought we, we had a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun writing those those insults and stuff that she packs into a sentence, and and uh, and she had fun doing them. Susan did, you know, and and <laughs> I was surprised he kind of took. He thought they were kind of just too over the top. I know? think the,
2: the only thing is um, nobody in Scotland would know what a pomegranate was. <laughs> 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 we're,
4: we're fruit dodgers. That's where we take literary uh, license.
3: <laughs> I love like the idea of the insults being too over the top, though. I mean, quite a lot of the stuff in your films is over the top.
4: You know, it's, isn't that funny? I mean, yeah, you're really, you're looking at... <laughs> <laughs> in this <laughs> film, someone's being attacked
3: by a giant plant. Yeah. And that you insults say, over the top.
4: No. Yeah, you buy you my you know you buy the mutants you buy. Um, the aliens. <laughs> yeah, you know, and really, you have a problem with that? Uh, okay. I have crawling foreheads in my movies. I mean, come on, what do you want?
3: I loved that one. I, I really, enjoyed, I loved the the special. Well, the head at the end. Yeah. And it's. Oh, yeah. That's the the only thing about that is that I hadn't really paid attention to the poster for it <laughs> so it was much more of a surprise but then when I looked at the poster I thought oh I'd have known all along that he was going to end up with like that if I'd paid attention but
4: <laughs> yeah it's quite a reveal isn't it? I mean that's a that was a nice piece of makeup by um uh Frank Hippolito. was it uh, heavy uh you know I don't I don't think it was too heavy I mean um it was fairly lightweight. I don't think Andy had a problem with the weight of it. What he had a problem was when he got a cell phone call between, uh, or wanted to make a call between takes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's holding it about a foot away from his ear, which is where the head goes to. And yeah. uh, he had to have, I remember him having people listen while he did the talking and they would translate <laughs> to, you know, it was just <laughs> it was absurd, just absurd. But that was, his uh,
3: running sequences were incredible.
4: Oh my gosh! Yeah, you know, the number have... of
3: was it two or three times that that joke comes back and it just it never stops being funny. <laughs>
4: yeah, he, and well, and then there's all the takes we did. You know, we probably did a dozen <laughs> takes of the poor guy running across the uh, veterans' hospital grounds.
3: Uh, and having to clear the whole frame so quickly <laughs> as well, because if he's not going that fast, then it it doesn't work as being quite as funny.
4: Yeah, we he's, had the widest... He's really angle. running. <laughs> That's right. And we there we are with the widest angle possible. The poor guy has a long way to go, yes. So, fr- from what I
2: understand, Frank Capolito has been involved with most of your films, is that right, in terms of creature well, design,
4: or...? Um, no, Frank... I think that was the only one Frank worked on. Oh, ah, uh, okay. The mutant for the first film, the mutant costume, which was wonderful, it was made by Courtney Skinner, uh, a friend of mine. Um who's a a great illustrator and very very talented guy. He I think he spent about $75 on that. Uh, and um and was very resourceful and that was the whole uh spirit of the film of course being resourceful.
2: Sure, yeah, absolutely. And I uh, I mean you you do have a kind of theme in terms of your 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 work um in terms of uh recurring cast almost similar to uh, the kind of cast of characters that Ed Wood used as well—is um, that something yes. that's? Uh, I mean, obviously, as someone who who likes your work, it's one of the kind of things that that kind of makes it, you know, makes it instantly recognisable. Is that you've got these great character actors who kind of recur in all the films? Um, would you like to say something about that?
4: Oh, oh, yeah, that's a great thing because, and that's a theatrical thing I think uh, to do, and and uh, yeah, Ed Wood did have his—he had his company too—and. And and uh, Christopher Guest, you know his his movies um, uh, use the same great group of people, and it's a wonderful thing because you know first of all you know who you're writing for, you have a voice in your head, and yeah. and that's a great thing, uh, but then plus the fact that that you're working with family, it really is like a kind of family atmosphere, and 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 it's old friends, and it's so going to work in the morning, it becomes you know it's a fun thing, and you're looking forward to it as well as hard work of course, but. Um, but it, it is, and it's fun to, uh, to, uh, watch them stretch. Nobody in the movie business likes to see actors stretch because you don't fit into the casting mode. They like to say, well, we get this person for this kind of role, but, um, actors are much better than that. We were, we were fortunate to have a, a great stock company. So they, they were able to stretch and, you know, you look at, uh, like look at Jen in, uh, you know, as Anna Mala and then she's Droxy Chappelle in, uh, um Trill of the Screaming Forehead and then the Fast Talking Reporter in Dark and Stormy Night and so on. You know, they all uh, they all can stretch.
2: Absolutely. And I mean the, one of the kind of other great things that, uh, just relating to that is obviously you've got Billy Tuesday um in Dark and Stormy Night, you've got 8 o'clock Faraday, and all these really wild and inventive names. Um Presty, <laughs> some uh Sebasha, I'm trying to think <laughs> of some other names. Lattice, and um, but, I mean, I mean, that's characteristic of, of this. apple quake. Exactly. <laughs> now that was a, that was another great little score, getting uh, James Carron uh, involved as well. I mean, would that be? Would you like to speak about that at all?
4: Oh yeah, James Carron, and um, H.M. Wynant, and the late B- Betty Garrett, who we miss dearly. Uh, you know, these were folks that. Uh, I was so fortunate to be able to, uh, I am fortunate to be able to work with them and, and, uh, people you've admired, you've admired their work in the past and here you are working with them. And you know, when we, if we get to, I hope we get to lost skeleton three because general, uh, Scott Manson would be coming back and that's H.M. Wynette. That, that, that was in.
2: fantastic. That we segment at the start um, yeah. Yeah, our- and he
4: has a larger role in the, uh, in the, uh, follow up film. Um, and and Jimmy Carr I've been ever since um, Return of the Living Dead. I've been a big fan of, of him. Uh, uh, wonderful actors, and it's it's just really a, a thrill to, to work with them.
2: And I know that you mentioned as well in the the kind of interviews that go along with the desk. that working with Bob Burns was a big a big thing for yourself
4: as well. Yeah, Bob Burns, just you know, legendary guy and. Uh, one of the nicest guys, truly. I mean, he and his wife Kathy are the nicest couple in the world, quite simply. And uh, Bob's museum, he, you know, that, it's just jaw-dropping to walk through there and see the props that he has and and such. And and uh, to get him to to play, you know, a gorilla one last time was was just just remarkable. I mean, that was um, that was pure magic, uh, having him out in the gorilla suit, and uh, he was like a kid again. It was great. <laughs>
2: And I mean, I forgot to even, uh, I'd never made the connection in my head, but obviously Bob Burns being a kind of legendary collector and also Daniel Roebuck uh, as well, having quite a a collection of horror memorabilia. Do you you partake of anything like that yourself? Or is it just kind of, these are the kind of people that are attracted and naturally drawn uh, to this type of thing? They
4: have have that collector mentality and I don't... um... Well, it's funny. I don't have it for um, for movie props or posters or anything like that. You know what it is? It's for DVDs. I, I, uh, I, I'm i a I'm a movie nut, and I love a lot of different genres of film. So if I collect anything, that's what I collect, I think.
3: And I was uh, really interested about one of – even though this is a horror podcast, we tend to not really stick to the rules. So I was going to ask you about Meet the Mobsters. Oh, yeah, sure. Which- I know Roscoe hasn't seen that one yet. I haven't seen I, it, no. I I really, really loved that, but particularly the made up songs.
4: <laughs> I <laughs> had fun with that.
3: Yeah. I mean for for Roscoe's benefit, i just and also the listeners, I'll just quickly explain it's a a singer who is being used by a, a mob boss where every day he's given a new song and he's told to sing it and he's told sing this for such and such and within the song it's all coded messages to tell them basically what to go and do because the mob boss is being watched by the police and the songs are really entertaining and insane <laughs>
0: <laughs> but
3: the the way uh i can't remember his name jim Fiore, uh john Fiore, john Fiore, sorry the way that he does the songs as well is because he's not meant to be a popular, not a successful singer. He's <laughs> he's got lots and lots of albums, and you can see that he's the sort of character that tries to fit himself into lots of different things in the hope that one of them's going to work. So he does so many different styles, like. Uh, was one of them a polka that he did in an Irish
4: accent? Yes, he's got a polka album. He has, and the album covers were done by Courtney Skinner, who I mentioned earlier, uh, and they're just hysterical. All the different styles, songs, songs he sang his mama, and you know, and just every kind of <laughs> style. And you can see just looking at those in the opening credits that the man has tried everything. He has yeah. tried Everything. He just hasn't quite made it. So he gets this great gig, and it turns out he's a, he's a front for the mob. And um he's got to write songs that feature the code words that 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 have you know signals for his gang, like you mentioned and that was it was a lot of fun uh it's it's totally different as you say a uh, different type of film than, than than any of my others but um but i really i really like it I wish it got more attention i wish it would get more attention actually because I think it's a it's a pretty good film and uh John does a good job in it and uh We've got some of the guys from the Sopranos TV show in there, uh, which was, which was fun. And, um, and writing is- those songs was a blast, even though they're, you know, they're just, people have asked for an album, but there's not enough. There's just a snippet of each song, except for maybe one of the, one or two.
3: You could do a, a very short EP.
4: <laughs> I guess we could, you know, I guess we could.
2: So were you involved in writing those songs? Uh, wrote- you
4: wrote them. I wrote them all. Cool. Cool. Okay. And, uh, I had a lot of fun doing it, and including, and I came up with the melodies, too. I mean, I actually, I like with Trill of the Screaming Forehead, the theme song there, you know, I had a little tape recorder, and I'm singing into it, basically coming up with a melody. Then someone needs to, to orchestrate it and transcribe it, you know.
3: I mean, so you were know, they, <clears throat> they kind of written in a stream of consciousness type way, just to, to sing a song that would maybe come across as ludicrous to you, but just a nice melody?
4: Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot... In the early part of writing anything, for me, there's a, there's a stream of consciousness. I do that a lot with, with scripts or stories or, or with the songs, you know, uh, things like that. And uh, um, it's sort of... I tend to do that early on before I have to structure something.
3: Yeah, we try that with this, but structure never works on it. <laughs> structure, structure's the bitch. Structure's overrated.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, right. So, I mean, just kind of going back, Larry, just to the the kind of the kind of first film. I mean, obviously getting that off the ground. You were coming in from the kind of. Uh, dot com company and obviously having having experience of worked in the theatre. What was the kind of process of getting pulling everything together and getting? I mean, how how difficult was that to actually get things off the ground, and particularly to get to get kind of name actors involved in it? I suppose.
4: Well, we uh, we did well. We didn't get what you call name actors, really. I mean, when we um, it was all kind of through friends of friends, like you know I sure my buddy my buddy Brian Howe, he is already living in LA and I've done theater with him and he introduced me to folk a couple of folks Faye Masterson and Dan Conroy and and um, uh, Andy Parks and that's how uh, they came on board and I do Susan McConnell and of course Jen uh, you know uh, uh, we were already married uh, when, uh, when the film was uh, when the film came together and um, uh, Bob DeVoe came out from Boston, he was an old friend of mine, so, uh, uh, and as far as uh, the other parts of it, well, uh, I had, the I mean, the first thing I did when I got the idea was talk to my friend Miguel Valenti. I called him up, I said, you know, could you make, do you think we could make a movie for $40,000, and uh, um, he thought about it and, and said, yeah, I think we could, you know, and and. Uh, and we just, I had just read about digital filmmaking. In 2000, that was still you know, a bit new, but it seemed like it made it accessible. Um, and I got in touch with a friend of mine who I thought could foot the bill, and we ended up pay, uh, spending a little bit more money later. But, you know, it didn't cost that much. And, of course... Uh, after we shot it, it was another two years before Sony picked it up. It was a long process.
2: Ah, see, right. Okay, so it was picked up subsequently. Because i, I was seeing obviously, that I'd only really actually managed to get a hold of the DVD maybe about a month ago or something like that. I'd you know, heard of it, but I'd never never managed to get a hold of that one. Um, and I was surprised when the, the TriStar logo came up, and I thought, oh, that's, that's really interesting. So that was obviously... Uh, distributed by them and then what yeah. was skeleton for uh returns again um forward after that so would that have been 2009 mm-hmm. is that
4: right no it, yeah it, it, we shot it in 2008 but ah, it okay. Uh, um yeah lost skeleton was not the kind of movie that sony normally picks up sure sure um so it was really we only had mike schlesinger uh he was the only person at Sony who was really championing the film. He's the one who wanted to pick it up. And, uh, he, uh, he's the one who put the DVD, great DVD together and everything and, and the trailer. And, um, when it came time for the, for the sequel, though, we didn't want to get lost in at Sony again, because, uh, even if they did pick it up, uh, it, it, uh, it, it's the kind of thing where it gets swallowed up. I mean, we, we, you, you know, you just don't make any money when it's when it's at a big company like that. Uh, yeah,
3: because they put and, all their money into their big, massive.
4: Yeah, films. Allegedly, allegedly, there's too much bookkeeping for my taste. Hmm. Uh, and um, uh, also, we knew that they would drop the ball on it and they wouldn't get it out there. And we, 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 uh, when we went to Shout Factory and. Talked with them. It seemed like a good home for it because they did. They, they do kind of you know some wacky stuff and Absolutely, yeah. some unusual things. Uh, it's a great label. Um, yeah,
3: they know but, their audience, and their audience is pretty mm-hmm. faithful.
4: Yep, and uh, and so it became the home for that and Dark and Stormy Night, which which we had shot the same year.
2: I mean, Dark and Stormy Night is a kind of different creature to these films. It's almost entirely shorten a sound stage, if not entirely on a, a sound stage, Entire,
4: entirely, entirely,
2: right. Whereas yeah. the, the other two are kind of far more uh, outdoorsy. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah, <laughs>
4: yeah. Well, the production values of Dark and Stormy Night are insane. I mean, it really just t- Tony Tremblay he had a lot to do with that, and he, uh, uh, he he did the miniature of the house, which was you know three three and a half feet high or something like that, and. Um, uh, the fantastic sets. I mean, it was wonderful to work on a soundstage. It was nice to be able to, to just to not have to move the company around. You're just there. You don't have to worry about cars going by. It's all in one place. And the sets were phenomenal. I mean, just walking around those sets, you felt like you were really in the cavender House. You know, I, I've always loved old dark house movies, and that was that was such a uh, an exciting thing. And and to to try to capture the '30s milieu and and really give it a genuine feeling uh was was a lot of fun and the cast really got into it
2: what were the kind of primary influences oh sorry sorry i've just could i say that again because it kind of went a bit mad
3: Uh, (laughs) he does this to me all the time (laughs) why are you say something then he goes oh you'll need to cut that bit out
2: i'm such a diva
3: he is. He's no idea how badly I could edit him together sometimes. Right, right. He once disagreed with me and I changed it in the edit so that he went, absolutely, man.
4: <laughs> oh, you can do such magic with editing. There we go. We, I'm sure we can keep that, son. Um, so... well, you know, I all Dark House movies, there are so many different kinds. There are good ones and bad ones. There are ones that had a good budget and ones that had a terrible budget. Uh, and i basically just used everything that i wanted to see in an old dark house movie that i all the ones i've seen over the years everything i wanted to see every element and so it's packed you know to 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 the point of absurdity of course
2: and ov- obviously it literally as packed to the point of absurdity where you've got we're introduced to about a hundred guests and then, <laughs> and then we go through to another room and there's like five more people sitting around who still need to be be uh, introduced to all with very difficult to remember names yeah so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's beautiful it's, it's a thing of great beauty and um I didn't count were there are 13 guests or not? I just was I, I, I was thinking that the 13th guest might have been some kind of influence there.
4: No, you know, the thirteenth guest had nothing on us. I mean we had I think I think at the point when we had the reading of the will, we were like twenty people in that room. <laughs> we we're going for the record.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love the bit where um the the older woman gets up and says, Oh, I'm sorry, I'm at the wrong wrong reading.
4: That's Betty. Oh, Betty yeah, uh-huh.
2: yeah. <laughs> And then and then Teak who just kinda remember the the what do you call it? Terminology <laughs> So, yes. Keeping that end. yes, absolutely. It's a bet. It's a bet. Uh... <laughs>
3: <laughs> Do you start with the names when you're writing the characters? Uh,
4: no, you know, I um I think the names the names just kind of come they kind of come into my head and they're based on um they're based on sounds knocking together, like a bunch of wooden balls just kind of clicking together. There's sort of it it must have a certain rhythm to it. And yeah. And um, I, I love coming up with names. It's just, it's just a fun thing to do. And, and I like it when they kind of sound like they should be real names. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, 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 I'm trying to think of one where it's just a little off. Sebastian's a good one. Sebastian sounds like it should be a name. Yeah. But I don't think anyone, and I always do a Google, I make sure no one has that name anyway. Because <laughs> uh, I'm disappointed if I find the name uh uh but yeah I, I i like him to have a certain sound a certain music to him it's a lot of fun
2: cuz
3: you do that in the one of the behind the scenes things on the Waske, skeleton returns well, again dvd or someone says to you what's the name of a plumber and you hit out with a ridiculous sounding name <laughs> but you do it with such conviction and deadpan the everybody watching it just thinks, Yeah, that's the name of Plumber
4: <laughs> It's a plumber. Well, it's a gift. What can I say? It's a gift. <laughs> Don't use it for evil. No, God, no. <laughs>
2: Even in terms of the way that the script is written, it, it's almost deliberately done to confound expectations and to subvert cliche um, in terms of the way, you know, and, and everything that
4: you're writing. I hope so. I hope. So I like to, I mean, if I can turn it around a little, I hope that because I hate things that are expected and I hate, you know, I, I'll give you an example. I went, I really, I, I really enjoyed Austin Powers, first Austin Powers movie. And then I went to see the second Austin Powers movie and I saw every joke revisited. And I thought, well, that's sad. Why do you why want to take the opportunity to go to the next level and, and have some more fun? You know, and I, I just don't like expectations. I, I like to, I like to, uh, trip people up a bit if i
2: can i try to yeah it's like Jurassic World (laughs) it's a bit bit interesting that obviously you're playing with cliche in the sense that a lot of the work that you're doing is is roughing on cliche but then you're quite deliberately trying to avoid a lot of the cliches that that you're highlighting which is an interesting thing in and of itself i would say
4: yeah I, i i think that's that's right i mean i i uh Maybe an example is um, a favorite scene from Lost Skeleton Re- returns again. A lot of fans really love the scene, the I- the ID scene where slowly, where, yeah, the <laughs> slow scene exactly. And um, and it goes on. It, it at first it seems I mean it, it is set up to be the the cliche of in, in an old thriller or mystery or something. Uh, how do I know you're who you say you are? Let me see some ID. Hold it by the tip. And I remember seeing that on some. Old TV show I was watching, and that in my mind I just extended it, and I, and I think by doing that, then you're taking the the cliche and you're going far beyond what, it, it, the expectation was. I think that's the kind of thing we're talking about.
3: Yeah, you take it to the point where it should naturally end, but then you you keep it going, until yeah. it until it, basically, gets back round to being really funny again. I can't remember what it's called. Someone wrote a thing where they they came up with a name for when people do that. And it's one thing that I really love where you're sitting watching something and then you find yourself going, oh, this goes on too long. But then all of a sudden it just immediately just continues to become funnier And and many times actually funnier than it would have been if it had just ended at that natural edit point.
4: Yes, yes, Too many films
3: know, edit too quickly, I think. Sorry, I talked over you there by mistake.
4: Oh, I, no, I talked over you. I, 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 I just said, uh, I, I'm glad there's a name for that and I'd love to know the name for it. I'll Google it. <laughs> <laughs> you do that. That's your homework.
2: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, st- st- Possibly kind of sticking with the war skeleton theme. I know that last year you'd done a Kickstarter um, to to try and get the war skeleton walks among us uh, made.
4: Kickstarter, don't get me started on that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. Leave me <laughs> alone. Go away. No, like, it, it was yeah. We um, you know we we did try. Uh, I, I I I think there might be another way of, um, of of making that happen. Coming up with the funds for that. We're not gonna give up on it and uh, it, it uh, I was surprised you know we uh, uh, had a fun Kickstarter campaign and um, uh, it just didn't get where it should have you know, you never know
3: Yeah, uh, I was uh, just going to mention about your the absurdist side The you go to as, as much as we've kind of talked about your horror influences but what are your absurdist influences? I mean, yeah. I can see some kind of, a little bit of Marx Brothers and a bit of Abbott and Costello and stuff like that, but I'm well, sure there's probably I'm a lot of them.
4: On the Three Stooges, and, um, uh, and Laurel and Hardy, I have to say, and and I love their their absurdity, and um, um, I, I, I do appreciate the sense of the absurd, and, and I think... I, I'm always saying there's not enough absurdist comedy today, and and certainly not since um, uh, Monty Python, um, and um, and also Firesign Theater, uh, mm. which and by the way we were, you know, uh, the audio adventure book of Big Dan of Volume One is so is such a you know so Firesign Theater influenced, and we, we we had the thrill of we worked with with Phil Proctor on that one of the Firesign theaters so that's a, a very cool thing but but you know that the, the um, uh you know when I, I I also painted I was trained as a as a, as a graphic artist and uh, um, and I've always liked for myself i uh, to paint surrealism and and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of absurdity in that so it's also a graphic thing with me not just in in the movies and I think As much as I love horror movies, I think the absurdity is maybe even the most important thing to me in in the Lost Skeleton movies and and the others.
2: You've been doing a fair few of these uh, small portraits, five by seven portraits, is that right?
4: I did... Oh, I did, yeah. Recently I did a few um, uh, small pieces. I just finished a uh, book cover uh, for a dark fantasy novel that um, uh, 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 was a lot of fun. I'm going to post it next week, but... um, uh, uh, I still keep in touch with illustration, I did a lot of science fiction illustration for a while and it was really fun to do a dark fantasy piece again
2: and over the years you've obviously done the Doc Armstrong uh, covers as well, was that yourself? That, that you know I at, that,
4: that, this just kind of happened last year and then I did it some more this year and it happened in uh, I did two batches, you know, I did a batch of 10 and then this year I did a batch of 10 and it was uh, all in photoshop and one of those labor of love things where you're suddenly possessed by it, and and uh, it seizes hold of you, and there it is. It was fun. It was fun because I love the Doc Savage books, so the Doc Armstrong books seemed a natural, a natural thing.
2: Absolutely, and I think the, the Doc Armstrong character, obviously portrayed by yourself, and the Lost Skeleton, uh, and the worst Skeleton Returns again, are both you know it's it's fantastic, and particularly I love the way that you kind of. Change the character into the second one without really changing it particularly <laughs> much at all, but making him this kind of dark, troubled, bitter yes, person. It just so,
4: seems so ridiculous. That was the takeoff point for the movie. In fact, exactly. I, I was watching some old jungle movie or something, and I, it suddenly occurred to me: what if what if what if you know, good Doctor Paul Armstrong was became this bitter alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
3: it reminded but, me a bit of airplane.
4: What?
3: That reminded me a bit of airplane
4: i love I love airplane airplane's great I, 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 you know speaking of absurdity airplane and naked gun the, the Zucker brothers there that, that you know that we, we need more stuff like that
2: one one thing that I was going to suggest I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, the the TV show in the uk Dark place I don't know if you've seen that
4: Oh yes yeah yeah what did you think of that Oh tremendous, tremendous.
3: And Reeves and Mortimer as well. Actually, I I thought there was a bit of a Reeves and Mortimer vibe. And Vic Reeves is also a, well, a person who from- started in art. Oh, well, there's a lot of their stuff for you to catch up on and probably love because it's very absurdist and it's also very based in the, the visual ideas. Huh. good
4: to know. So just...
3: Yeah, that,
2: um, we'll link you up.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, send me a link.
2: Absolutely. Um, so... Uh, Larry, in terms of uh, just going back to Big Dan Freighter, which is your current project, um, and I know that you've been working on this. I believe it's for the last year. Is that right?
4: Yeah, and uh, it was. It started as a kind of thing that um, we, you know, we're all working on other things, and so it became something we would work on it when we could, and and we'd work on it when um, the studio, Worldwide Radio. I love that name, um, Paul Faye's studio, when they have a slot, because Paul's in, really into this and he's become a producer on this and and so, you know, we go in and, and, and record one and Brian Howe took on the directing here and he's done a great job and I'm writing the scripts and it's really fun to write for these characters. It's fun to write for Brian and Allison Martin and Dan Conroy who are just, you know, such a, a joy to work with and... and they made these characters so memorable in um, *Screaming Forehead*, uh, and I, I had actually come up with the characters before them before I came up with the movie. And I always thought a series of adventures. I thought maybe an animated adventures. I don't know, but the, but the radio format really suits it well. And so, uh, Volume One consists of the first five adventures. Um, and uh, came out a few months ago, and we're we've already recorded a uh, an episode for Volume Two, uh, so we're working on that, and we 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 want to get more guest stars in there. Volume One has Sam Witwer and Michael Chiklis in there, and uh, it's it's really uh, fun to get folks into to uh, to, uh, to guest on this, and we won a Mark Time Award, which was great. Oh, fantastic it's cool radio, and that. Uh, Um, that was, that was quite an honor. And, um, uh, so, so volume one, um, is available now on iTunes and Amazon. I'll tell you one thing that we learned though. We're not going to do streaming next time. Um, because we're learning as we go, you know, and, and the streaming killed us because if, if a thousand people stream it, you make like 23 cents.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's
4: ridiculous. And, and, and we, you know what? we, we well, let's just sell the album sure uh, and so and actually on album on, on the second album we're going to have shorter tracks so that people can buy individual tracks right now only one track is under 10 minutes on the first album. yeah yeah You so buy that one uh you got to buy the whole album you know it's not much so no well, i if mean people
2: uh, for, if, for people in the uk if you're interested in, in buying this and no, i do thoroughly recommend it it's really great a collection of um i at the well it's f- five episodes basically um i've listened to the first four i've not had a chance to listen to the fifth one yet and there's a bloopers track as well um but that's available just now on amazon for around five pounds six pounds um, and so it's not a whole lot of money and um, it's also not available on spotify in the uk so <laughs> if you if you want to listen to it you've got to go through uh you've got to go through amazon or itunes um but it's Really, really good. Uh, so uh I, I Gil, you've kinda of got the jump on me a wee bit with having seen uh trailer The Screaming Forehead, which I've not seen. Yeah. Um so I wasn't familiar with these characters, but it was really accessible. Um so Alison Martin, who I have to say I absolutely love from pretty much everything all your uh, films. And she's she's so, out of her mind. She's bloody she's insane. so good, um, and particularly as the head of the cantaloupe people is uh, <laughs> yeah, just the good. best. It matters to us a lot. <laughs> I was just <laughs> amazed by that moment. But yes, uh, her, Brian Howe, and uh, I think, is it Dan Conroy that's playing the, Gunway, the, th- the third character? Um, and it's really, really well done. Um, and do encourage you to to check them out and they're actually very you know very listenable in terms of they don't they don't you know it doesn't seem like it's 10 minutes it's just quite a cool wee engaging radio adventure so definitely uh yeah. check, check them out if you get a chance and they're,
4: and they're work workplace friendly they are workplace <laughs> friendly they definitely are absolutely <laughs> I I think
3: all of your stuff is i don't think that you know isn't
4: I've that heard. sad isn't that there's sad no, there's no I, swears the most trouble I've had is in the first film, *Lost Skeleton*, where we said the word "jackass," and uh, that was the most trouble we've got in. That was what got us the PG. So, uh, yeah, they're very, they're very family friendly.
2: Would you have liked a U, a Universal certificate, or what? What, what is the what is the US version of a U? Uh, general, is it general? G, G? yeah, yeah, that's yeah. The, okay.
4: That's the G. We got a PG. Uh huh. Oh, of course. Johnny Slade's Greatest Hits, also known as um, Meet the Mobsters, that's a different story. That is not workplace for me. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. That's Uh, that's that's, got some swears. Yeah, that's got some heavy. So I'm
2: I'm looking at the discs just now, and in the UK you're on PG for uh, the the Lost Skeleton Returns Skin and PG for Dark and Stormy Night as well. So (laughs) so there we go. So the BBFC must... must, Dark
4: and Stormy Night must be a PG because it's a a human head on the wall. I don't know.
2: I don't know. It's hard to hard to decide what these people are thinking. To be fair, all the time.
3: Half yeah. the time, I don't even think they watch the films. <laughs> I
4: know. I know.
2: <laughs> but there we go. Um, so, in terms of your next projects, uh, Larry, what are your what are your kind of next? What are you working on just now?
4: Well, I just finished this painting. I I, I spent actually more time than usual on it. A sure. lot of detail and and uh, uh, for a book cover, a um, uh, story called. Um, dark venture and uh coming out from Wildside press uh, sometime later this year i think excellent and uh-huh. um and uh before that i i finished a, a science fiction illustration for um for an online um uh sci-fi magazine and then um I'm about to start on a rewrite, uh, work for hire. Someone's hired me to do a, re- a script rewrite, script doctoring. So it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of jack of all trades, and I, um, I'm painting, I'm writing, I'm juggling, I'm doing it all.
3: <laughs> and how uh, do you see yourself going forward with the, the Lost Skeleton?
4: Yeah, I, I still do think we'll do a Lost Skeleton 3. I don't know how, I don't know when. But um, but I think you know I think it will happen at some point and I've, I continue to have my irons in the fire for other films. Um, you never know which one's going to strike, but uh, but yeah, we you know we'll be doing something before long.
2: Do you think an animated? <laughs> do you think we can see imagine an, uh, an animated feature of Big Dan Freighter?
4: You know, um, we thought about that. We thought if if the album catches on, we could be making a deal with Fox or somebody for a. Uh, for a television uh, animated television series who knows um, cuz it does seem to have that that quirky quality that that would um, that would work
3: or adult swim oh yeah i think yeah. those two characters would work really well on that sort of yeah, where yeah. everything's like 10 15 minutes long yep cuz I, I haven't heard the dan Frater adventures yet but i really want to find out more about him and Dutch you know i wouldn't have done this interview
4: if I, you know i wouldn't have done this interview if i had known that <laughs> <laughs> It's under <laughs> false pretenses uh, i'm going to erase some of the stuff i said <laughs> <laughs> rush oh, hope not let me listen <laughs> <laughs>
2: You've had <laughs> enough in your play to meet the mobsters and so on. Um, but we we also checked it just as a sideline. Larry, we also, we also had to kind of look at. Obviously, I'd seen Meet Biba before, but I didn't realise that it was part of a kind of wider. Um, so I mean, quite often. I mean, I've been following. Like, I've been following you for ages. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> I've been following the work that you've been doing and kind of seeing different stuff that you've been posting. And I saw Meet Biba when you posted that. Maybe six months ago or something like that.
4: because yes, uh, I was putting some stuff on Funny or Die, and I think ah. that was what I put up on Funny or Die. Sure. Which I thought it might be another avenue for us—a way to reach another audience. But I, I really kind of have my doubts. I don't—I don't know how valid it is as an avenue. There's some funny stuff on there, and that's cool. But I don't know if it helped us any. And all I care about is stuff that helps us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, Biba was part of. Yes, it was part of uh, Tales from the Pub, which was a, a web series that we did for a while in 2007 or 8, and um, uh, there's about, it's like 20 or 21 of them, 22 of them, something like that, and, and they're all on YouTube. If you go to Meet Biba, then you'll see them down the side there, uh, and they're a lot of fun, and our usual stock companies in there, and they're, they're kind of cool because they're only two and a half, three minutes long at the most. Uh, which was, it was a lot of kind of a fun challenge to do. Yeah,
2: and someone's done a playlist that you can watch the whole lot in uh, one go if you are so inclined. Yeah, nice. All, all nice. 30 of them.
3: Nice. So, so and Andrew Parks in full on Rod Serling mode. That's.
4: <laughs> I, I really want to know what, what he would say. Oh, Truth and Noobin? Yeah. Uh, yeah, he says, uh, until next time, this is Truth and Noobin saying.
3: And then it cuts to the credits every time.
4: Uh, did you not hear me? I guess it cut out. I'm sorry.
3: Oh, damn. <laughs> it's, it's lost to it. the ether.
4: And I mean, he's also...
2: Uh, is it Andrew Parks that portrays the kind of Oscar Wilde-type uh, character who's kind oh, of coming Lord out?
4: Fine. Lord part Fine. Is, he's, he's one of my favourites because he really is... You, there's kind of a contest um, among cast members to, to say whose character is stupider. And that is arguable. <laughs> <laughs> the one that I play, Ray Vestenhouse. Oh is, my goodness. He's pretty he's pretty damn stupid. But Lord Partfine might be might be the stupidest. Um in Screaming Forehead, Dutch is is stupid. The one I play, Nick is stupid. Droxy is stupid. It's you know it's it's kind of um it's kind of hard. I think Dutch might be the stupidest in that. But but it's, it's fun to see who can out-stupid the other.
2: And we've also got that magic moment where Animala says that she's not so stupid as well, <laughs> where yeah. uh, when she walks away from the, the skeleton <laughs> who's trying to control her. What's it like working with your uh, your dear lady wife? Um, well, and it's making
4: a It's a living hell. <laughs> <laughs> it is. She won't take any notes. She walks away every time I try to talk to her and give her some advice, helpful advice, which I try to do 24 hours a day. Um, and, uh, no, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. And, um, I'm lucky because (laughs) I'm, I'm lucky because, you know, if I'd married if I had married an actress that, um, that wasn't very good, then what would I be doing? Would I still be able to, would I be putting her in movies? I, I, it would be a very awkward situation. So I'm very lucky that I, you know, that, that I was able to marry someone who was actually a good actress.
3: Were you nervous at all about handing her a script that says basically Animala dances sexually for Paul?
4: No, be <laughs> No, because when I wrote that script, I said, So do you wanna you wanna play the wife? Do you like Betty? And um and she said, No, no, I wanna play Anamala. Um and it dawned on me, Oh my god, you know, well, how how stupid am I, of course. And it just seemed like 'cause at fir- I just at first I thought she she'd be good as the wife, you know, but, um, but it, it just worked out. It, it couldn't have worked out any better because she was perfect f- for Annamala. and Faye is so f- fantastic as Betty.
2: That's Faye Masterson, who's in a, a couple of your movies as well.
4: Yes. Who is another one that does a good job of masking her, um, her native accent.
2: Where, where's Faye's, where, where's her native accent? She hails from London. Oh, there we go. Oh, so it's pretty, uh... Pretty cosmopolitan cast. We're so international. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, excellent. Okay, um, Gil, is there anything that we want to? Is there anything else that you would or Larry? Is there any other topics that you would want us to bring up, or is there anything no, I'm that you? Tired.
4: Would... I'm I'm bloody tired of hearing me.
3: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> good. I was actually just wondering, because of the the way Lost Skeleton returns again leaves Animala is if she returns in the next film if it's going to be that Animala or another four animals
4: well um, that's an interesting question I <laughs> or both it like, could be both two Animalas I, I'm not going to spoil it you know um, and, and I'm also not going to mention anything about uh, twins trip, trip, triplets <laughs> <or>, uh, <laughs> we'll not give it away
2: absolutely <laughs> <laughs> excellent okay well, Larry thank you very much indeed thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us um, really appreciate it man as I say a really big fan of the stuff that you've been doing I'm really impressed with, with, with everything that we've seen so please keep up the, the good work and don't hesitate to, to come back on the show if you ever feel so
4: inclined alright I, I, I thank you guys for having me It was, it, it, it was was uh, it was really fun talking with you and uh, and uh, thanks for the support that we appreciate that
3: no, no it's not a problem we we support anything that's good
2: <laughs> exactly i think that's that's the main thing is i mean the stuff that you've been putting out man is 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 really really good and um it's kind of well as i said before my kind introduction was dark and stormy night and then i kind of struggled to get a hold of the other stuff and then i walked into fop the other day there and Maybe about a month or so ago, and uh, saw Was well, Skeleton. I thought, oh my goodness, there we go. So, hmm. um, so it's been really good just kind of catching up with this stuff and and kind of getting, you know, getting a handle on it. Is and and particularly, I mean, the, the Dan Freighter stuff's really good and really engaging. As I say, I've only seen the. Was there another one? There was. I thought there was maybe another one on Spotify that I hadn't had a chance to. I, when I did a search, it was like kind of Christmas album or something. uh
4: that was a benefit we did ah okay for fundraising a cd ah Uh, yes yes that is out there too Uh, that might be on spotify we're not on spotify though right i mean no 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 you can't
2: you can't get any of the that stuff through streaming uh through spotify for streaming so no
4: oh good good okay
2: there we go so you're all good man (laughs) you're all good listen man thank you so much indeed for taking the time larry really appreciate it thanks cheers guys so go, 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 go. Ross, 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 That was Mister Larry Blamire. Um, amazing to speak to him. Great to to finally get him on the show. Um, after being a fan of his work for for all that time. Um, how how did you enjoy the interview? I thought that was awesome. That's great, that man.
3: Was great fun. Great. I really like absurd stuff, which actually reminds me that I that this week I did actually watch the Netflix original series of. Wet Hot American Summer.
2: Ah, okay. Uh huh. So, uh-huh. so what, what did you think of that?
3: I I thought it was really fun and just totally absurd.
2: Right. So I I tried to watch a wee bit of it and I wasn't really wasn't really feeling it. I, I know that there was a film that preceded that.
3: You really need to watch the film. Uh-huh. I think I think the the problem that a lot of people have had when they try to watch it is that the original film from two thousand and one uh-huh. had like uh, Paul Rudd yeah again
2: yes he's everywhere yep.
3: that man well,
2: he is everywhere
3: anyway you got Paul Rudd and Elizabeth Banks and all these people that are playing teenagers although they're in their mid twenties uh-huh. and in the film that's that's part of the joke but now in the series they're playing the same characters. <laughs> but, uh-huh. but uh, from two months before the film. Uh-huh. So the film is the last day of camp uh-huh. and the series is, well, as it says in the title, first day of camp. So it's set two months beforehand and it does set up a lot of, well, the film works as a stupid standalone film full of daft jokes.
2: Okay,
3: But then the series works on a different level because it gets to then have a bit of fun with some of those jokes. Okay. By kind of setting them up. Like one character in the TV series is radically different, but then also you've now got people that are in their 40s playing teenagers.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I saw that from watching it and I was quite kind of tickled by it, i have to say.
3: Yeah. I mean, some of the jokes that they make with that are, quite obvious uh-huh. but it is still quite entertaining but then the tv series does also allude to the fact that there might be another series potentially set maybe three years earlier <laughs> Fantastic! so that would be quite interesting
2: now i don't know just in terms of regard to the the netflix series i don't know if mm-hmm. you saw the rumor about thunderbolts perhaps getting a series no the they're talking about making Marvel's Thunderbolts into a Netflix series, should be quite bizarre. I've
3: never read Thunderbolts.
2: It's basically villains uh, masquerading as heroes. Is the, uh, so, the 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 concept? So, Sinister Six, basically.
3: Yeah, Sinister Six. Uh-huh.
2: Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Yes. Sorry. Su- uh, yes, yeah, Suicide Squad.
3: That's... Well, we've got Sinister Six and Suicide Squads. Yeah.
2: There we go. So there we
3: go. And um, Suicide yes. Squad trailer. I don't uh-huh. think we even, we even mentioned that last time. No, we, have da- you we se- didn't. Have you seen the fantastic rumour that's going around about the Suicide Squad Joker?
2: I didn't. know what was that?
3: That's, uh, that they're going to go down the, this isn't the Joker, it's Jason Todd route.
2: Ah, okay. Uh-huh. I think that would actually be a pretty cool twist. Very good. My my knowledge of the DC universe is pretty pretty sketchy at best, um. But there we go. It would be a cool twist, and it would be an interesting. We are we are getting around the, you know, the elephant in the room. I think uh, there's always going to be that. I think uh, it's going to be very difficult to follow uh, that performance. I don't think. Well, it's like the under the red
3: hood storyline.
2: Sure. Right. Okay. Uh huh. Okay.
3: Where well, he comes, he comes back. You know, he already, Batman thinks he's being killed. He comes back and he has a different agenda where he's going to he's going to properly punish all the bad guys rather than do things the way that Batman does because he thinks that those ways are ineffective.
2: Sure. So, sure. so that'd be go. cool
3: because Batman's going to be in Suicide Squad.
2: Ah, there we and, go
3: what better person to have Batman facing off to for the, the film than his old sidekick?
2: There we go. Local boy, uh, Ben Affleck.
3: <laughs> local, local boy?
2: Yes. Yeah, so <laughs> he, he his surname uh, originates from Ochenleck. Does it? So there we go.
3: <laughs> yes.
2: Yeah. Yep, so local hero. <laughs> <laughs> cool boy did good. Anyway, so on that bombshell, I... Uh, oh, d-
3: <laughs> you know they got thrown off air. I, I think uh, it was just for that catchphrase.
2: Okay, but now, now, they, now they've found a home on the internet, much like me. Yes. Um,
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> I've carved out a niche for myself by pretending to... Host a horror podcast that only exclusively talks about uh, comic films. book movies. Kids', <laughs> Kids films. Kids' <laughs> films.
3: <laughs> Next week, we're doing Harry and the Henderson's <laughs> and how it relates to the werewolf movies.
2: Uh, random tangent, but I did go and see uh, Stephen Sutton Times Into the Woods. Um, which did was you? Bloody excellent, yes.
3: Which was bloody excellent.
2: It was. It was. A, it, was it was very good. Have you seen it?
3: I. I uh, had the opportunity to see it uh-huh. and I took that opportunity and 15 minutes later, I decided to stop taking that opportunity.
2: There we go. Well, I didn't, I didn't see the film. I saw it on, uh, on the, the stage.
3: Oh, well, that's different.
2: It was, I thought it was... you meant
3: the film.
2: No, 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 no. Um, but it's very good. It's very good. Where um did you see this? It's very wordy. Edinburgh Playhouse. So, yeah. Look yes. at you, old oh, Playhouse.
3: Look at you going up in the world. You usually go and see things at the 13th note and un- <laughs> underground venues that can hold a capacity of 50. Here you are mixing with the hoi huh. through in Edinburgh.
2: They can hold a capacity of 50, but I've never seen 50 people in there.
3: Well, that is because you've only been there at your gigs. Your
2: gigs, uh-huh, fair enough. Uh-huh. Yes, <laughs> I know. There we go. Anyway. So, guys, thank you very much indeed for listening, as ever. Um, we are on Twitter. I, myself, am at Podacious Horror. And my dear friend and most Podacious colleagues is at...
3: KT Hopkins. <laughs> 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 at Gil Rokitansky.
2: That is indeed your Twitter yes. handle. Uh, good buddy. And obviously, ten you, can, four. Ten four, boop, boop, you can find us on Facebook, uh, Gillen Roscoe's Badacious Horror Podcast. Um, our website is badacioushorror.co.uk, where you can stream all of our previous episodes. And we are also on Stitcher, should you care to look. So, guys, thank you very much indeed for listening. And once again, please don't have nightmares. <laughs>
0: I know Leo DiCaprio was over a barrel A tarantula took to the hills And I got really hot when I saw Jeanette Scott Fight a trip that before in a gales Didn't just have gave him the runes passing <laughs> the news like <laughs> the scales And the world's collide, so to prowl all who is bright. I'm gonna give you some terrible brails Like a... Yeah.